Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Presbyterian Church in Owasso, Oklahoma. Our passion is to show that grace changes everything in Jesus Christ by equipping you to rest in worship, grow in community, and rediscover your calling. To join our body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at trinityowasso.com. So where, where uh, or what do you turn to when things aren't going your way? When life is just too much, um, when your sorrow is too great, when sin is too overwhelming, where do you turn? Maybe a bowl of ice cream, if you're like me. Uh, maybe a new show, uh, a new book. Maybe a drink or drinks. Maybe a long walk. Maybe back to your work email. Where do you turn when life it's too much. I'm not sure if this is uh, true for you. Uh, maybe you've lived under a rock for the last few weeks, and that's all right. I, uh, I, I think we should all live under rocks, get away from the news and social media from time to time. But the last few days and weeks have, for my family and I think for many of you, have been full of grief. Um, as Nathan just mentioned in his prayer, uh, a few weeks ago we lost a really close friend. Um, Katie Burdett. Um, and that grief was very personal. Um, and then, I don't know if you heard this, but uh, there was a whole thing that, that was on the news for like 12 hours before something else was, and that is that in the Southern Baptist Convention, and it could be any denomination, but in the Southern Baptist Convention, there was exposed the continued tragic sin of the church and its leaders a story after story in this 400-page document was put together of sexual abuse and infidelity, where victims shared their pain, and we learned of the sin and the negligence and the abuse of power by pastors and these leaders in charge of the denomination who dismissed and quieted victim after victim. And you might not have heard of that because it didn't last long, because then 12 hours later we hear, again, the devastating news of a school shooting in Texas where, I'm not sure what the count is now, but I believe around 19 people died tragically. So where have you turned? Where have you turned? A few weeks ago, I'd, I was texting Blake, and I had already decided to preach this passage, and then as the weeks have unfolded, um, I've become more certain that this is the passage to preach, because what we're going to see in this passage is two people whose life just isn't going their way. And maybe um, it's for a variety of, of reasons, but nonetheless, what we see is these two people running toward Jesus in their time of great need. And we see Jesus meeting these two desperate, hurting, fearful people with his tenderness and his power. And he explains and puts on display the hope that we all share in this room. And so this is uh, an introduction to our text. And so if you would turn to the bulletin or on the screen, you could follow along. We're going to read from Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56. Hear the word of the Lord. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had only a daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. 
But as Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. So she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, well, master, the crowd surrounds you, and there's all sorts of people pressing in on you. But Jesus said, no, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter's dead. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him, except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child, and all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned. And she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to not tell anyone what had happened. This is the reading of God's Word. Thanks be to God. So where do you turn when things aren't going your way? What you'll see as we study this text is I've mapped it out in three, three different points. We're going to look at the desperation of these people, the faith of these people, and the hope that they and we share. It's the desperation. Um, this story is near the beginning of Luke's gospel, and in this chapter right here, we're, we see story after story where Jesus' power is on display over everything. Um, this chapter begins with the, the well-known passage of Jesus calming the waves and the wind. He has power even over those things. And then he gets to the other side of the lake and he's greeted by a demon-possessed man. And this man comes in the best children's bedtime story. Jesus casts the demons out into a pig. The pigs and the pigs then fall into the lake. Um, no one's written a book on that one. It uh, should be. It would be an animated one. But Jesus even has the power over the demons. And then right away we pick up here in the story where we see Jesus' power over sickness and even death. And first we meet this man named Jairus. And Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue. Um, these were the people generally following Jesus around in his ministry, behind him murmuring, trying to catch him in his act. They were suspicious. They were condemning and here is Jairus, uh, willing to be humiliated in front of all these people. We assume that there were all sorts of his peers around, willing to step out into the public scene with nothing to lose. He was needy. He was desperate. 
And so he comes to Jesus and falls at his feet and pleads with him to make everything all right. Come, heal my daughter. She's dying. And so they start heading that way and the plot twists where the story was about a clean and upright man with a name, Jairus, who loudly and publicly came before Jesus because his 12 year old daughter needed to be healed. The story was about that, and then it became about an unclean woman without a name who quietly and secretly touched the garment of Jesus because she suffered with the discharge of blood that's lasted 12 years, and she needed to be healed. The story presents two very different, but two very desperate people. So who was this woman? This woman was the epitome of being all alone. And you can go read this on your own because I won't bore you, but in Leviticus 15, it outlines what a woman like this ought to do and what she can and can't do. And she can't do anything. I'm a bleeding woman, cannot touch or be touched by anybody. She cannot enter into the temple or synagogue to worship until the bleeding has stopped. So she is unclean, she is unwanted, and she's unnamed. Luke and Mark both go out of their way to not give this woman a name. She's just the bleeding woman. Her suffering has overwhelmed her. It's who she is. It's her identity. It's how everyone understood her. She is a nobody. And to make things worse, if someone was, as I said, to touch her, or if she was to touch someone else, those people would then have to go into a word that we all have come to know well. They'd have to go into quarantine through the night. And then when the morning reaches, they would go and go through this whole process of cleansing themselves. So this woman has not touched or been touched by anybody, stranded to the side of the road, not for 12 hours, not for 12 days, for 12 years. She's needy and desperate needing to be made whole. And from afar, she sees Jairus, the ruler of the place she cannot enter, and Jesus, this meek, impoverished, tender, approachable, yet powerful man. And this mass of people going somewhere important. But it doesn't stop her from approaching him. I think one of the things that, that's been, that I've just thought about and been struck by is, is, is how hard it is for us to be needy like this. You know, I don't know if it's just like an American thing or a human thing or maybe a Christian thing, but it is significantly easier, like by a mile, to help someone out than to ask for help. Like, it takes so much humility it's a very vulnerable thing to ask someone. Like imagine, imagine this scenario, and you might laugh because it's laughable, but imagine like you've just had a hard week. Maybe your kids have been sick, you've been stuck in the house all week, or maybe you've been overwhelmed with work, and then you ask your friends, you reach out and say, hey, it's just been a hard week. Could you bring me a meal? And then maybe like even sit in my house and eat it with me. I just need your company. Like you would never do that. We don't do that. It seems ridiculous. Like, how weak and incompetent would I sound if I asked someone for help? 
that my life's just been really hard and I'd like your company. Like that weakness and incompetence pushes up against every value that we have in America. It's just too much, so we don't do it. We stay tough and strong and put together and capable. Like it's easier to ask your friends, how can I pray for you, than to reach out to your friends and ask them to pray for you, right? It's hard to be needy. It's hard to be desperate. It's hard to be weak. It's easier to be self-sufficient and strong and not bound by any limitations. And I can't help but wonder, as I was studying and, and reading and thinking of these two people, I can't help but wonder just how that inability to be needy might be affecting our spiritual life. Like perhaps we want to experience Jesus and we want to stay self-sufficient and strong and put together and totally unlimited. Possibly what we need is a little bit of desperation. Possibly what we need is a little bit of neediness and weakness. So these people are desperate and they're willing to admit it. So they run to Jesus, which brings me to my second point, their faith. Um, so I learned about this uh, probably a year ago, 120 miles east of the Mariana Islands in the Pacific Ocean is the deepest part of the ocean. It's called the Marianas Trench. It's 35,000 feet deep. That's really deep. That's the uh, uh, Mount Everest. If you were to flip Mount Everest upside down and stick it there, there would still be a mile until you reach the Marianas Trench, is what this place is called. And the, the water is freezing cold. Uh, the pressure is like a thousand times the pressure of sea level. And so for years, they've tried to get to this place and they haven't been able to because everything they send down there just gets crushed by the pressure. Um, until a few years ago, um, they were able to send some sort of amazing thing down there with a camera um, to the bottom of this, this place called, called the Marianas Trench. And what they found at the bottom are these half-inch long shrimp called Rimicardus hybersae. Kids, can you say that with me? Rimicardus hybersae. Parents, adults, Rimicardus hybersae. So these things are called. Um, of course, they don't have any eyes because why would you need eyes down there? It's so dark. They don't have any bones. They're just these small little shrimp that this camera has discovered, able to withstand the difficult in the dark environment. And so, how? How, how, how do these things maintain life? And I work at a very smart school, but this is above my pay grade. So but bear with me. I know a little bit about it. Uh, I'm not a scientist. Maybe one of you can explain it. But what, the way that I've taken that information into the level of a fifth grader um, is that there are rocks down there and that these rocks, these tectonic plates, they shift and they move and they rub up against one another at the bottom of the ocean. And it creates this energy and this warmth that then comes through the pores of the rocks and the cracks in the rocks. And so what, what do these shrimp do? They're at the bottom of this dark and desperate place and they're clinging, stuck to this life-giving rock. And that's what we see in the story. It's two people in the darkness, in the depths of despair, who cannot handle another day. 
and they run and they cling to the life-giving rock that is Jesus. And that's faith. In your neediness, it's turning to Jesus. We see this in her desperation. This bleeding woman has, is, has just reached the end of her life and she sees this man walking toward her, getting all this attention. And surely she's heard of him. Um, he's been the talk of the town by this point. And this woman knows what's up. This woman knows her Old Testament. She hasn't been able to go into a synagogue or to the temple, but she knows what's up. She knows the last book of, of, of the Old Testament is, is Malachi. And in chapter 4, verse 2, it says, The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. Now, do you know what the word wings is in Greek? I didn't either. Uh, so I had to look it up. But the word wings in Greek is the corner or the fringe of a garment. And so what we see, if you're putting pieces together, what a rabbi would wear as he's walking around time or rocking, rocking around town is a garment. And on the garment are four tassels. And those are the, the corners, the edges of this garment. And it's called the wings. And so here comes the son of righteousness. And this woman identifies him and gets it. And he, she knows that there's healing in his wings. And she grabs on to the wings. And she's immediately healed. She's immediately healed. And Jesus says, who touched me? I love that. I mean, he knows who touched her. But he wants to see this person face to face. And so in comes this frail, weak, unclean, all-alone, desperate, no-name woman. A woman who's not even supposed to be speaking to a rabbi, let alone touching him. And I imagine she just musters up the most weak and wobbly response you can imagine. I, I did. I did. I touched you. And let me tell you all about it. It's, my bleeding has stopped. And he says, with one word, daughter. Daughter. The only time Jesus uses that word, the only time he names someone daughter, right here, in all the Gospels, this one encounter. You know, when my, when my two-year-old, almost two-year-old, gets really scared, um, she comes, if she meets someone new, she'll come and you'll find her, like, clung onto my leg. Um, because I'm her father, I'm going to provide for her. I'm going to protect her. So Jesus in this moment says, daughter, and anoints her with the, the dignity and the royalty that is hers. He says, I will protect you. I will, I will guard you. You're no longer the bleeding woman. You're my daughter. Your faith has made you well. Now go into shalom. Go into peace. Be restored. Now I want to pause here for a second to flesh this out, because I don't know about you, but I know a lot of sick people who have had faith and come to Jesus, and they're still sick. Or they died in their sickness. I know a lot of addicts who have desired to be healed from their sin and their misery and their suffering, but they still suffer and sin. 
They have faith. They come to Jesus like this woman. And so it would be a giant misunderstanding at best and heretical at worst um, to, to apply this and walk away from this and say, okay, here's, here's my takeaway. If I'm sick, I just got to go to Jesus and I'm going to be healed. Like, voila. If I'm sinning or struggling, I just got to have faith. I got I to understand to get down to the deeper depths of my desperation and bring it to Jesus and have stronger, more put together faith. And then I won't do that anymore. That'd be a giant misunderstanding and maybe heretical. And so how does faith work? How does our faith make us well? How does it make us whole? How do we encounter Jesus and go out with shalom? Um, well, I want you to think about uh, faith in this sort of way. Um, and faith is actually uh, explicitly defined in the book of Hebrews where, where the author says, faith is what? The assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not yet seen. And that assurance word um, in Greek is also uh, described, defined as the realization, or if you read the King James Version, it's the substance of things hoped for. And so let me just maybe flesh that out and play with this. Um, Imagine with me for, for, for maybe kids even, like in February or maybe early March, like a 50 degree day comes around. Um, it's still cold. It's been cold every other day, and like in two days, it's going to be cold again. But what do you do during those 50, day, 50 degree days? You like put on shorts, you put on sandals, you play outside. It's like, heck yeah, it's here. It's arrived. Um, you're, you're living in what is one day going to come like around June. But when it comes in February, we're going to play. We're going to play with it. Like, Imagine being in Antarctica, or just an always cold place. They probably don't even have shorts, and they don't have sandals, but let's just imagine they did. They wouldn't put that, they'd be like, okay, I mean, I got nothing to hope for. I'll just keep what I had on, on, because there's nothing for sure coming. But precisely because we live in Oklahoma, and we know that summer is just around the corner, we've got the clothes, we're prepared, we're ready, and so we put this on, we live in the substance of what is one day certainly about to come, summer. Now, if summer wasn't coming, we'd be fools to put it on. Why would we even have the clothes? But because we know that summer's coming, we put it on. Now, what faith is, is the realization, putting on today, what is certainly coming one day. It's living today in a way that is certainly going to be lived out for all eternity. That's faith. And so we come and we gather, as we do here. Why are you here? We're here by faith to be made well, to be restored. We're here, we're gathered with a bunch of people that half of them are strangers to us, but we're living out, we're, we're, we're uh, realizing and, and living in the substance of what one day will be forever, the gathered people of God every tribe, tongue, nation, worshiping, hearing. Why do we pray? Why do you pray? Because one day you'll speak to this God face to face. And so today we live out. We put on. So we speak. Why do we read? Because one day we'll hear from the Lamb forever and ever. So now we, we read His Word and we, we put on by faith. And when we pray and when we gather and when we eat and when we read and when we work in, in ways, this, this is faith. This is putting on. This is rehearsing. 
the life that's to come today. It's like pretending like it's summer in February on a 50-degree day. We live out the substance because our hope is certainly coming, which, which is the last point. What is this thing that's certainly coming? Let's look back at the story of Jairus. And I just want to point out a few things here. So verse 52, so they're mourning, they're weeping, and Jesus looks at them and says, do not weep. She's not dead, she's sleeping. And they laugh. They laugh. Um, that should be a comfort to you. <laughs> James, John, Peter, laugh. Like, yeah, right, that's crazy talk. This woman's dead. We smell her dead corpse. She's not coming back to life. What are you talking about? They laugh. Um, I was listening to a, a podcast uh, recently. It's, it's a woman named Kate Bowler who is five years into a three-year-long terminal cancer. Um, she has a podcast called Everything Happens. Um, and she was interviewing a, a, a minister who has been a minister about 40 years, and he was recalling um, the most devastating time in his ministry. 20 years into his ministry, he said he was about 50 years old. Um, this family that everyone adored in the church lost a young child. And he had to be the one. Who would ever want to do this? But he had to be the one that went and preached at this kid's funeral. And he recalls in this moment, minutes before he's walking out on stage, um, to, to, to lead the service, praying, God, you better not make me go out there and lie for you again. Don't make me go out there and lie for you. And do you understand what he's saying? God, these people are so desperate for something. These people need hope. This better not be False. Don't make me go out there and lie. You know, the, the Bible teaches something that is really hard for us to grasp and believe and live by. The Bible teaches that our hope is not that sickness and sin will go away this side of eternity. And it might. Um, two of the coolest things I've ever got to witness is my boss, for two more days, um, his child, I forget how old she was, she was two, maybe two and a half, um, and she wasn't walking yet, and it was way past the time of, of um, you know, like it became, it was a very serious thing. And so she, they brought one day, River Oaks had a, a healing service um, during their Sunday worship, and they brought her, and the elders laid their hands on her and anointed her with oil, and the next morning she woke up and walked. I remember uh, a year into um, me being an intern at, at Grace and Peace Presbyterian Church, um, I went, a girl, a, a woman, this was her first child, she was 22 weeks, and she started having um, contractions, and uh, she went to the hospital, and they said, you're about to deliver this baby, and I, I don't know what the cutoff day is, but I think it's 24 weeks. Anything before 24 weeks is really dangerous. She's 22 weeks in, and she's terrified. And the elders all surround her, and they anoint oil on her head, and they lay her hands on her. And the next morning, she was released. 
she had delivered the baby at 38 weeks. It can happen. It does happen. That's not the promise. It's not the guarantee. It might. We pray for it. We pray that it will. But the Christian hope is that one day our soul, if we die before Jesus' coming, our soul will be reunited with our body. And all bodies will be raised from the dead and will meet and face the triune God face to face. And he will separate the wolves or he will separate the sheep from the goats, the wheat from the chaff. There's all sorts of ways that he describes this. And we will plead by faith the blood of Christ in that moment. And we will live with a resurrected, whole, fully shalom body forever with God's people and with God himself. And I love where it says, immediately this woman, this this girl, this child was raised. And what does he say? Give her something to eat. The same thing happens with, with his own resurrection. He was raised, and what does he do? He goes and eats. This is not just like this disembodied spirit that's like make-believe. No, it's physical, it's real. Give her something to eat. The same thing for us. We will be raised, and we will eat and feast and celebrate and work with our hands and with our minds and with love with our hearts and rejoice and sing. And this is our hope. You know, this is what this story is pointing to. The story and the story of Elijah earlier and the story of Lazarus is all pointing to the resurrection of Christ. And Christ's resurrection is there to point us to our resurrection. The certainty of our hope. There's a song by um, Andrew Peterson, and it's called The Dark Before the Dawn. He said, I had a dream at the very end. He said, I had a dream that I was waking at the burning edge of dawn. All the rain had washed me clean. All the sorrow was gone. I had a dream that I was waking at the burning edge of dawn, and I could finally believe, I could finally believe the king had loved me all along. This is our hope. We're the daughter, the son, the royalty, the dignity that is ours. We finally believe it. We finally believe it. I want to end with this, this passage from 1 Peter who says Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world and was made manifest in these last times for our sake. And through him, we are believers in God who raised Jesus from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope will be in God. For you have been born again, not with a perishable seed, but an imperishable seed through the living and the abiding word of God. That is our hope. That is our, our Lord. So where do we turn when life isn't going our way? What is the hope and the redemption in this broken world? Is that the king is at work and he's making all things new and one day he will fully come and redeem every part of our broken story, our broken body, our broken heart, our broken soul, our broken mind. Fully restore it. Fully restore the earth that's around it. Renew it for his glory and we'll live in this place forever. That's our hope. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Trinity, please visit our website at trinityowasso.com.